podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. the Anfield Index Transfer Rumor Show. I'm your host, Justin Wells, and joining me as always in a second will be my co-host, Tadiwa Chanakira. At the top of this call, though, I do want to put out a disclaimer that unlike most of our most of our shows, this one is going to be team-specific to covering uh, Manchester United, uh, a team that is near and dear to the heart of all Liverpool supporters. Uh, you probably figured that out from the title of this podcast, that it is about them. And if you don't want to listen any further, I don't blame you. Um, there might be some information in this. There might be some comedy in this. There might be a little bit of both. But the reality is we are going to be discussing uh, Manchester United and where, where where exactly they are in the kind of the pecking order of football clubs in both the UK and Europe as it pertains to this summer window. Um, so I guess the opening question I'm going to ask to, to Dila is, is this going rightly or wrongly for United? Well, I think from a United fans perspective, probably wrong. It's probably going really wrong for them. But from a Liverpool fans perspective, I'm loving every minute of it and long may it continue. So I guess basically the way in which you have to assess this is where is Manchester United as a football club? Uh, right now, you know, the, the, today's news story is that they've, you know, that they're speaking to former Everton player personnel uh uh, I guess player, I guess director of football, Steve Steve Walsh, and he did not have perhaps the greatest run at, at uh, Everton. Just fired within a half season, um, particularly once Co- when Coman left as well. But he did have a good run at Leicester City, where he is given credit for at least spotting um, Ingolo Conte and uh, Riyad Mahrez alongside actually bringing you know alongside actually promoting Jamie Vardy. Although I think that's a bit overblown. I guess the question there is with a guy like Steve Walsh, who apparently they're trying to pair with Darren Fletcher, this seems to be very much just Ferguson, you know, trying to re-exert control at the club from uh, from Ed Woodward. What does this say to you about where United, where United are in, in the pecking order of both kind of English clubs and, and Europe? I think poetically, you'd have to distinguish between the commercial side of United and the on-pitch side of United. And it seems like that's something that's caused pretty much a lot of the issues that they're going through now. And looking at where they are now, um, from the commercial side, they're still one of the big giants in world football. Whether or not it's going to take a hit on them getting consecutive years outside of Europe, I suppose we'll tell a lot more at the end of this coming season because a a lot of their, their deals... Um, sponsorship with Adidas and uh, some of their other sponsorship deals do have clauses that would affect them a lot more financially if they don't make Champions League once again this this coming year uh, heading into then what would it be 2020 2021 so I think maybe there's a there's an asterisk there for them to look out for but then on the pitch as has been shown and talked about throughout the season it's been very much, uh, you know, a mess on on the pitch. There's not really a clear direction, and that seems to be all stemming from Ed Woodward. Um, and I think with this director of football issue that that we're trying to bring in here um, to the conversation, I think their biggest issue will be trying to balance the commercial side and the on pitch side of the game. We know that United is a publicly traded company. Um, they've got a lot of influence coming from the commercial side of, of, of the club. And the more and more the commercial side becomes strained, it's likely to have an even bigger effect on the on-pitch side, which could end up being a very bad snowball effect. I, I don't know if you feel that it, it's a, it's the major issue is that discord between the commercial and the, the on-pitch be, before we then can, 
maybe try and get an ideal director of football that would help them out. Yeah, so I think that a big problem. I think I think that's at the that's at the heart of the problem right now. If you look at what's happened in the past years under Ed Woodward, the players they've signed have been big names without really much concern to how they fit together. So if you take a look from you know kind of from basically when Ferguson left, I guess I'll benchmark as the starting point. Look at every transfer window that they have where they've signed a big name. Um, Martial when he was. Uh, you know, the hottest young property in Europe, who, by the way, is still a phenomenally talented player who United consistently use incorrectly. Um, and I actually I actually think that he's probably their best. He's their best player, in my estimation. Uh, Angel Di Maria, who hacks it for a single season and really wants out. Juan Mata, who, you know, was was a was a Chelsea want away. And we're going to speak about Mata quite a bit extensively later in this podcast when we talk about United's midfield. But a Chelsea want away who, you know, ends up actually playing decently for United. And I'm actually, I, he's actually a, a United player that I actually reasonably admire for his, his ability to play, though. I think it's, you know, the game, his, his time as a, an elite attacking midfielder in the Premier League has been long past for years. Um, you know, Paul Pogba, they brought him in for 90 million pounds, but they didn't, you know, at 90 million pounds, that's the player you want to unlock your midfield rather than needing other players to unlock him. And that still remains the case there. And once again, he's probably going to feature prominently in our conversation today. Uh, David De Gea, although Ferguson brought him in and he won multiple leagues with Ferguson. Um, but once again, another player that'll feature prominently in this conversation today. And then, you know, you've got Romelo Lukaku, Eric Bailey, Victor Lindelof. A lot of players bought Nemanja Matic. A lot of players bought Alexis Sanchez with kind of either an actual strategy, like Lindelof and Baye are two younger defenders who could develop if they were actually played in a system where player development was was a portion of it. But they were brought in to be ready-made stars. They aren't. Alexis Sanchez is brought in to be kind of, and especially at the, at the rate at which you're paying him, that's a player that you should be bringing in who's carrying you. And, you know, what, what, what's his been role been most of the season? Extraordinary bit part. What's missing here is a strategy to actually buy players. They've bought names, be it young commodities that everybody wants or stars that, you know, ostensibly should make your team better. But there's it's basically they're all square pegs and round holes in, in that side. And I think that a lot of that is the necessity for the commercial side. Like we just signed Alexis Sanchez. Let's get out a video of him playing piano so we can sell, you know, a million Sanchez number seven shirts today. It seems as if the thing that's actually kind of fueling the transfer window is, can I sell shirts today? Can I sell sponsorships on this? Yeah, and I think that then bleeds into what is effectively corroding the club as a whole. And perhaps that's what Sir Alex Ferguson is trying to rope back or try and put back on the on track uh, with some sort of direction. I think when you look at when you look at it holistically. Being a publicly traded company, being a company that is influenced so heavily by their commercial side, I don't see how that side is going to become a non-factor in deciding their football, um, how their football is played or who is coming into their club or how the football side of the club is run. I think they're, they're in tandem, they're joined together. It's just for them, from their perspective, they need to find a way to make it work together. And there are ways to do it it's just whether or not they're willing to engage in that and i think for example as we head into the bigger topic of you know what kind of director of football they should be bringing in and we've got quite a few later on that we'll speak about that have been linked and we can go into depth with them but i think it all starts with michael uh, with michael with ed woodward sorry if he if we know that he is basically in control of everything at the club whether or not people want him to be in control of the football side, I think he he is going to be in control of the football side. And he wants players that are going to, as you said, increase the commercial exposure of Manchester United, increase the revenue, increase you know the buzz around the global brand that is Manchester United Football Club. And I think the problem with that is United are looking at maybe directors of football that aren't necessarily matching that. And there's going to be a lot of conflicts of interest that is going to come from that. And we've seen 
if we can bring it in from a Liverpool perspective where the guys that are handling the transfers and maybe the manager don't necessarily see eye to eye and how that can affect which players are coming in, which ones are leaving, how much pitch time is given to certain players. And that's not a recipe that's going to work. So um, I, I, I don't know if you if you feel that it, the buck stops with Michael Edward and him deciding a, someone that's similar to him or we can evaluate, I suppose, with the different benefits of the different guys that have been linked. So I, I think part of it right now is if you look at what United are and you look at where where they are in their history, they've kind of got the worst mix of two worlds at the moment where it seems as if they have some sort of desire to build what, you know, something convoluted that, you know, like the transfer committee, although I don't think the transfer committee was that, I think it just got a bad rap. But they have that, but it's the manager who they have uh, running it instead of it being Brendan Rodgers is Roy Hodgson. So they're kind of stuck, basically, I think, in a real dark, dark place because they just don't know. um, They've put themselves in a hole that I don't know that they know how to get out of because the person who keeps putting them in the hole is uh, is is, you know, a person whose main concern is the share price and not necessarily them winning, you know, a fourth European Cup or a 21st title. Uh, By the way, you know, we, we say this and we're just being honest, but both of us want that to continue. Right, we very deeply want United to get this wrong. Yeah, um, that's one hundred percent from my perspective. And I've had this conversation with some Man United fans. Um, one the other day, actually, uh, a friend of mine from Zimbabwe, and I was giving, you know, I can give constructive criticism on how it should be done. It doesn't necessarily mean that I want them to do it that way. If you know what I mean. Correct. It's just basically more along the lines of the fact that we've been there. We know what this is like. And also, there's a portion of this too, which is we've been there and we know that this is like, but we're not there right now. So um, we'll, we'll make fun of it. You know what? We, we, we absolutely will make fun of it because it's, it's something that's kind of fun to make fun of. That's, it's not a particular football club that I think that there's warm feelings towards uh, on this podcast or basically amongst Liverpool supporters anywhere. Now, to uh, that that being obviously more for banter because there is some things about them about them as a club where there have been some admirable things such as Ferguson being uh, uh, you know Ferguson being one of the biggest supporters outside Liverpool of the Hillsborough families and you know we want to underscore that most of this is only geared towards making fun of what's happening on the field and you know kind of the turmoil in the boardroom because that's the stuff that is uh, able to be mocked the rest of it just it, the rest of it I, I'm not gonna I don't care about that. I care. I don't want to make fun of it. But let's go into what United are trying to plan for the summer, right? I guess the first place we can kind of look as a transfer pod is kind of their summer plans. And I guess we can maybe try to figure out who's even driving from them. So thus far, Manchester United have been linked to quite a few players. Uh, there's going to be a kind of a, a a similar quality to them that you'll that you'll kind of get, which is where I think kind of that they're in the Hodgson slash Kenny's big summer outlay window for us. They've signed they've signed Daniel James from uh, Swansea, a winger uh, from the cha- who had a, a decent season, a very good season in the championship. But once again, it's a player who played in a team that was kind of dead rubber in the middle of the championship. Um, Sean Longstaff from Newcastle United, a midfielder who didn't feature much under Rafa, but um, is seen as, you know, kind of a player for the future. Harry Maguire on 80 million pounds from Leicester City. Aaron Juan Basaka on 60 million pounds from Crystal Palace. Um, I don't even know how much they're willing to pay for him, but it's a swap deal I've heard of from of Issa Diop from West Ham United, either valued at 75 million pounds or... Um, would be a, a straight exchange for, or I guess a partial exchange of Cash and Anthony Martial for Issa Diop. And then they've gone ahead and extended uh, Juan Mata for another three seasons. If you take these all together, it seems like terrible business. If you take them individually, I think you can see points for some of them happening. Like, because Aaron Pisaka, Aaron Juan Pisaka is is a good right back, right? At 60 million pounds for a guy of his Attacking output at right back, I would think that you're absolutely out of your mind. But individually, you can see where there's a case to be made for for some of those, if you're united, knowing that you're going to have trouble attracting that marquee player. 
yeah, I, I, and that's that seems to be the theme for Man United for a couple of years now. Where yes, you can pick out one or two players that they do sign or that they are linked with and say this is a good player. You can see how and where they're going to improve the club, but cohesively, it doesn't seem like there's any sort of chemistry with who they're picking, who they're targeting, (laughs) or even knowing, for example, where Man United are, how Man United are planning to play next season. You could ask 10 Man United fans and you'll probably get seven or eight different formations and tactical, you know, nows of how they want the team to play or how they think the team is going to play. And you can tell from the amount of people that they've been linked with that it doesn't seem like they they know fully well what the plan is. Yeah, and, and that's what it seems like to me because some of those some of these players like Harry Maguire, I think you know, basically if you're buying a center back, uh, particularly if a Harry Maguire kind of center back, I don't. I, I think that that puts questions as to what kind of line are you going to play because you don't play Harry Maguire in a high line, right? That's that that would be kind of suicidal defensively, and if that's the case. What did Solskjaer have United doing when they made their initial bounce under them? They were playing an extremely high-energy way within which a guy like Maguire would get you know, pretty exposed pretty quickly. But if their strategy is to kind of sit deep, head away pressure, and kind of play, you know, just try to be airily dominant in two boxes, then a player like Maguire starts to make a little bit more sense because as much as I don't think he's... You know the same kind of aerial presence as like a, I don't know like a, a Virgil Van Dyke. He's still a good air. He's still a good defender in the air. Now I guess the the question that you need to ask around both Maguire and then Juan Bissaka is Maguire is estimated to cost a given an eighty million pound valuation. Aaron Juan Bissaka a sixty million pound valuation. Don't you think you could do better for 140 million and basically kind of rebuild your entire back four if you just employ scouts who actually have contact at European clubs and you go look for younger or just, you know, European talent that actually makes more sense? You'd you'd hope that as as a fan of any club that, you know, throughout the season the scouting goes beyond, you know, those marquee signings that don't necessarily impact the squad and I think maybe that's where Liverpool have done it really well in that it doesn't necessarily take a 50-60 million pound left back you can find a left back from you know a championship bound club and still make something of it and perhaps that's where as you mentioned earlier that James signing comes the thinking comes from United and signing him my only concern is I trust why Liverpool was signing Andy Robinson considering how advanced our, you know, scouting system is in terms of the analytical side of it. Um, it seems to be more trying to find a profile of a player than necessarily finding a name of a player. Whereas at United, it's the complete opposite. So when they're now signing a player from the championship, I'm wondering analytically what exactly have they seen that everyone else has missed out on because they got him quite relatively easily without much fight from anyone else in the Premier League. Yeah, that's what seems to be like the the part that I'm wary of is everybody else seems to have had trouble moving players in and out of the Premier League thus far this season, right? I think the only signing actually thus uh, of a top team thus far is him, right? Arsenal and Chelsea haven't signed anybody yet. Um, we haven't signed anybody yet. Uh, City, you know, they're apparently close on on that on two signings, but they haven't signed anybody yet. Um, United bring in Daniel James, and it's just an easy, you know, just like a transfer that's done very quickly. Leads you to believe that what other competition was there for his name, and is it just because of the fact that United are going to offer better wages that they're going to attract these players who just think, like, I can catch on with a big club right now, who might not have us or City or Spurs or even Arsenal or Chelsea looking at them, right? United seem to be in a really bad spot. Now, if we're looking also kind of at the concept of a plan, the thing that I also don't get, and I keep coming back to Wambasaka and uh, Maguire, is why do you sign um, Aaron Wambasaka when you've already spent a bunch of money last season on Diego Dalo, another right back with a pedigree, and you know you bought a young player to play that position? They did this before when they signed Darmian, who Darmian didn't work out. He's not a particularly great player, but it just seems as if they they're they're buying without giving these guys a chance to develop. 
and also buying with a short-term goal will probably then be the argument. And I suppose that's when maybe the argument that Fergie wanting a director of football, well, specifically one that he favours coming in, is you can't be spending, you know, upwards of a hundred million on two right backs of a similar age back on in back to back seasons. That means something went really, really wrong in the scouting of who you are trying to sign. And as we've alluded to now, it seems like that that seems to be a really big issue when they when there's no direction at all. Yeah, and that's what and that's where I'm I'm, I'm lost also with their plan too. Because if you look at the other players that they're gonna that they're rumored to be bringing in. Um, and and I think you have to start looking at the outcomes when you look at this too, right? So when we go to the midfield, they've just given Juan Mata at 31 a three-year extension. Now, Juan Mata is a player who relies on guile, the ability to pick passes, the ability to find pockets of space, right? So pace isn't necessarily something that he needs in droves to succeed in the Premier League, or at least it wasn't. But this is a player now who actually might lack the pace to kind of get around the pitch enough to do those things these days. And they've just given him another three years, right? What's like, like, what is the purpose of that? Because you don't sign someone for three years to basically phase them out of the team. You sign someone for three years because of the fact that they're very important to your team. So I'm just trying to get my, you know, is, once again, is this a move where there's a logic to it? It seems. It seems like a move that, considering the time of the year where they do, where they have given them this extension, it makes me worry. If I was a United fan, putting a United fan's hat on, as weird as that sounds, it makes me then wonder: Have they missed out on a specific target that they wanted for that area? That's resulted in them having to succumb to, you know, the demands of a one matter. If if you've got a player like that who you don't plan on shipping or who you don't plan on shipping out. Clearly, it's a player that you would have tied up to a long, longer term deal a lot earlier in the season. We've seen, you know, the, the issues that they've had with the Paul Pogba's and the David De Gea's. If Mata was a player that they considered to be worth, you know, giving a three year contract at that age, you would imagine they would have signed him up and made that, you know, very clear that he's part of what they're going to be doing in the future. But the fact that it's gone so long, it, you know, into, and I know the transfer window has just started, but so long into a season before you're signing a player like him, who shouldn't be necessarily a, a starting player at his age, as gifted as he is or argumentatively was, then I think that then also throws up a lot of red flags. And the red flag it throws up is who played attacking midfielder most for United this season? I suppose Jesse Lingard. Uh, I was thinking, the teenage sensation. Oh, Lingard or a very lanky Frenchman. <laughs> but I, I wonder if they'll give him that much license. See that that, and I think also the problem is if you look at from a pure attacking midfielder, what which Juan Mata probably was renowned for being, that is becoming a really hard position to keep in your team. We've seen how Arsenal struggled to keep. Mesut Ozil, who was arguably one of the best attacking midfielders when he was at Real Madrid, that specific you know position where you're isolated as the sole number ten seems to be phased out at this point in time of football. We know football goes through cycles, and we've seen the Ericsons drop a bit deeper, come a bit wider. Whereas in earlier years they would have been slap bang right behind the striker, looking to create. So if you're signing a player in one matter who, at his age, it's unlikely that he's going to be able to, you know, adapt to a new style or position, so to speak. I have to question that. Yeah, and I guess the you know the comparison there would be Mata, and I guess the player he's been probably likely been like you know compared to for most of his career because they're from the same country and played the same position and were probably competing at the national team level is is Mata and David Silva right and they're now they're even they've been in the same city for a while too um Silva's had to drop significantly deeper into City's midfield to to you know to function as well too so I guess the idea is if does Mata have the legs to do that I don't feel like he does and I feel like a lot of other you know guys who have made that you know who have adapted that way be Bernardo or David Silva or um, 
you know, you know, they've they've managed to find ways to go through with it. I don't think that that Mata has the range to be able to do to play a central midfield role, even if it's, you know, just like some sort of kind of augmented box to box where you take away some of the defensive responsibility. Right. Kind of what Pogba was doing for large portions of the season. If you slot, you know, Mata into the role that Pogba was playing this season, there's a significant performance drop off and even off ball where Pogba gets, you know, really slammed by his detractors. Uh, I'm, I'm not particularly a big fan of his off ball work, but if even then you're still losing something because he can't do as much then, but it kind of does bring the attention onto Paul Pogba in the midfield. Right. And this is the, this is the domino by which everything else falls. Is, is he going to be there when the window closes in August? I personally don't think so. And if I was a United fan, I'd probably not want him to be there. As talented as I think Pogba is, the fact that he's so misused at Man United or they're not willing to, I'm not, I don't mean accommodate in the sense of, you know, they should baby him, but there is certain ways to, to play a Paul Pogba. You don't spend 90 million on a Paul Pogba just to play him in a position that's not necessarily his best. That's what I suppose goes into the whole bigger picture of this podcast is if you're going to be buying a Paul Pogba, you must have intentions of playing him in his best position. There's no point in buying him, shoehorning him into a position he's not necessarily great at, giving him you know, players in and around him that don't support the strengths and then hide those weaknesses that all players do have. Um, then why were you buying him in the first place? And if you're not going to do that next season either, it's best to sell him off you could make a pretty penny from selling a player like him and then try and buy the players that you do want to buy that help you. You know, you could buy two really good center midfielders that could help the course for Man United a lot better than keeping a Paul Pogba if you're not going to play him in a system that best suits him. Yeah, I mean, that's part of it for me too. And I guess part of the reason that I would be worried about having him there as a United supporter at the beginning of next season is I think that the relationship between him and the... I'm not saying him and the supporters. I'm saying him and the club itself. It doesn't seem to have any... It doesn't seem to have any sort of love there, right? Pogba doesn't seem to be kind of a player who the management of the club fawns over and wants around, right? United have had that in the past. Liverpool have had that. Um, There's probably a variety of reasons as to why it's not happened. But there's, uh, you know, he he doesn't feel like he's particularly loved by the hierarchy of that club. I think a lot of that is Jose Mourinho. I think a lot of it was Jose Mourinho poisoning the well against him, right? Because he did. Mourinho poisoned the well against Pogba. But the other aspect, too, is does Pogba want to be there? It doesn't seem like he is, right? And when you have a player who's like Paul Pogba and he doesn't want to be there, do you, do you want him at your club? And it's not a point of you don't want him because you're disgusted by him, right? You just you just don't want players who don't, you know, who are only half committed to being there. Pogba at this moment, you know, whether or not it's his fault, is only half committed to being at United. But I guess the question is, once again, if you're United and you sell Pogba, who can you sell him to and how much do you have to get back for him? I would be banging on Real Madrid's door as hard as I could. And because I, I think they are probably the most likely team to want to sign him, considering how long they've wanted to sign him. Um, alternatively, maybe Juventus, if they keep, you know, if they can move their finances around well enough. But I don't think they're going to get as much money from a Juventus as they would a Real Madrid. And with the way Real Madrid are spending at the moment, you've got to be really quick if you're planning on selling a player to them. Unless, and maybe we'll bring him in later into the conversation, Unless they're trying to look at maybe some sort of player swap involving, you know, like a Gareth Bale or something. I I really don't see how else they're going to be able to offload him. I think also the thing as well is it then touches on that commercial versus on-pitch side. Commercially, Ed Woodward does not want to sell Paul Pogba because of the brand that is Paul Pogba, because of who he is as an ambassador for Adidas. He is one of the faces of Adidas. And United have such a good relationship with Adidas. You can see why Paul Pogba and, well, not necessarily Paul Pogba, why Ed Woodward and also why Adidas wants Paul Pogba at Man United to keep that commercial relationship going, you know, 
it, it's, it just ends up becoming such a mess for them. So whether or not they want to sell him from the pitch side, from Ed Woodward's side, I know for a fact he doesn't want to necessarily sell him. And that's when that conflict then comes into, into play in full view. It's a good point about the commercial side, right? Particularly because of the fact that Pogba is one of the bases. The whole point's about Adidas as well. But I guess the other thing that needs to kind of be brought out as a, a question here and another kind of player who's unhappy is if you lose Pogba, if, if you keep Pogba, right? What what do you keep around him that's in this squad now to keep him happy and keep him motivated, right? Because what relationships does he have on pitch or off pitch that work for him? We know off pitch, he has a very good relationship with Romelu Lukaku, right? But Lukaku is another player who's, you know, really mooted to want to be out of there. There's been rumors of him to, to Milan, um, to Inter Milan specifically. But I guess the question is, once again, where does that put United if they're selling Lukaku? Because what are you going to get back in as a striker? What 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 are you even going to like? What system are you even going to play? Are you going to get another target man, or are you going to go with something mobile? And I think it all comes down once again to this lack of a plan, where they have Romelu Lukaku, who they just bought two seasons ago for I think seventy million pounds, and they might take a loss on him. Now Lukaku is a player who did himself no favors this season by coming out of a World Cup and coming back into this uh, this Premier League season. Having basically eaten like me, he 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 looks like uh, you know he he was on my diet for about a solid like you know portion of the season. I'm not a professional athlete. He is. I think the biggest problem for for Lukaku is he's a player that doesn't necessarily offer as much on the field, you know, except for goals. And when he's not scoring goals, when the goals dry up, then it becomes glaringly obvious that he's not offering much else on the pitch. So coming back, as you say, coming back not necessarily in peak condition or not having your eye in should be a concern for a player like him. A Bobby Firmino can come back looking a bit chubbier after preseason because you know he's going to put in the effort in and around the pitch, not necessarily in goals, but he's going to you know, contribute to the team in other ways. But if your primary role and your primary asset is contributing and putting the ball in the back of the net, you better make sure that you're on fire. 80 to 70 percent if not even higher for the whole season and if he's not doing that that becomes a really really big concern yeah i'm with you there and i I didn't mean to kind of you know go go too into you know my diet or melo lukaku's diet here (laughs) i was just trying to say that you know like i said he's a professional athlete and i'm not but that's where and that's where this comes through is you look at the players that they've bought and when you buy a name sometimes the name is forged by the fact that the name worked in a different system. Lukaku worked really well at Everton because everything Everton did was funneled towards him, and the pressure wasn't on him to have to, to you know, win the league or win the Champions League with Everton because it's Everton. That's an expectation that they only have once we've won the Champions League to think that they can, you know, one better us next season. Um, spoiler alert, not going to happen. But um, they, But if you then look continually down the line at what United have, the other one that's now really confounding to me is this concept of um, an Issa Diop for uh, you know Anthony Marti, you know Anthony Marti, Martial and Cash movement. Now I know that Diop is a very very well regarded younger young center back, and he had a decent season at West Ham. And I say decent; it wasn't great; it was decent. Right? He showed potential. They have so much money, or at least had so much money invested in Martial, and actually just signed him to an extension too. Um, where, once again, what kind of planning is this? And if you look at Martial in terms of potential, you would probably say he has a far higher ceiling than a Diop. So even if it's just looking at, oh, we're trying to sign young players with potential, hello, you've already got one in the squad in Martial. Try and, you know, make the player reach that potential, not necessarily just binning him off because he's had an off season or, there was a conflict with the coach. Um, so yeah, that once again goes to the concerns of what kind of plan is going on and what are they trying to achieve over the season. I think also with a lot of these players that we've mentioned, you can see there is a lot of money that they could generate if they did have a you know quick fire sale where they, they just offloaded 
five or six of their biggest stars. But I think, once again, the problem for Man United is that commercial side. From a shareholder perspective, they can't lose five or six big name signings in terms of, you know, their commercial players. So even, even, you know, trying to football manager it by saying, okay, we can generate 250 odd million if we sell a, a Sanchez, a Pogba, a De Gea, a Martial, and then we try and restart everything again. That has major impact on their commercial side and major impact on their share prices and the business side of the game. So they can't do something like that. And the problem for United is the only solution they've come up with now is try and, you know, plug the holes by bringing in more commercial players or more big name players instead of saying, can we go a season, you know, where we are rebuilding? Most clubs could do that. A, a Liverpool could maybe do that and get away with it, you know, and we have done, arguably done something like that. And there are other clubs in the Premier League that could go for a season where they just say, you know what, top four isn't the aim. Let's just try and build something for the season after the season. Just make sure we have the foundation, the football and everything ready. United can't do that because they have so much hanging on getting into top four or doing well in in competitions that they have to always plug a hole. And that seems to be the problem as well. All right, so let's get into then, uh, you know, to, as as we get towards, uh, you know, progressing this. Let's do a little, let's do a little role play here on this on this particular podcast. You're the chief executive officer of Manchester United. You're Ed Woodward, only smarter. Um, what do you do to fix this? First and foremost, considering how good he is from the business side of things i think he would have to realize that obviously the two sides are coming to a really really bad collision which could have long-term effects for the club maybe that might be good for for you know you've heard some fans say that might be good for them to to have that collision because it might mean the glazers are then forced to sell to someone else that has better you know, appetite to run the club the way that the fans want to run it. But I think for for him, from his perspective, he has to be able to go to an Adidas or go to some of the bigger sponsors and maybe even some of the bigger shareholders and have an honest heart-to-heart conversation where, was, where he's saying, look, we have to sacrifice one year and it will be, you know, for the benefit of the future of the club, you know, just to get that stability. At some point, they're going to have to sacrifice a year, stop trying to plug holes and just start from fresh, clean out some of the stuff. You know, you, you can't be giving contracts to Ashley Youngs and Smallings and and it, and then also trying to buy one Basakas. It, it just seems very conflicting. So it needs to hit a point where they speak about it. But the problem is whether or not they're able to do that it depends now on the commercial side, whether the commercial side is willing to be lenient and say, okay, we'll take that hit for a year for the benefit of, you know, the future years. And also it needs an Ed Woodward to be willing to try and put his neck on the line for with a deal like that. Because if he says, give me a year, within a year we'll sort it out, we'll stabilize it, and they don't stabilize it, he's going to be looking for a new job come, you know, come two years time. And I don't know if he's willing to put his neck on the line like that. Right. But then there is the other side of that, which is at some point, the commercial part will suffer if the quality of the on pitch product doesn't win. Right. We, we saw that with Liverpool. People don't want to go watch a side when they know that any chances of success are going to be fleeting and an extraordinary long shot. Right. Like you'll still fill up your ground every week, but you're not selling, you know, 10 million shirts in in uh, China if you're not winning. Now, one of the other things that I think is interesting as far as how you get out of this if you're not, if you're united is the fact that Ed Woodward does need to realize that while he is maybe the smartest guy in the room on commercial deals, um, he just needs to pick a direction, right? With the football club, he needs to pick a direction and realize that not every single signing is going to generate that buzz. You're, you're going to need that eight and a half million pound Andrew Robertson 
to to win you games sometimes more than you're going to need the 90 million pound Paul Pogba. But what's out there then for United that you would actually do that they're linked with this summer? So let's kind of quickly go through just you know a, a brief recap. Which of these player moves would you do, and which ones would you reject? Um, selling David De Gea. See the <laughs> the problem with United is. If we're selling De Gea, do I know that we're getting a, a replacement, a worthwhile replacement? It's yeah. easy to, to to sell him, but in terms of him wanting to leave, it's clear that he doesn't want to be there. And if he's going to keep costing them the way he was costing them this season, then it's not worth keeping him. Yeah, I, I agree but, with you. Yeah. All right. So, um, other players that they're you know linked with either coming in or going, right? Um, I don't think that there's too much that that's actually rumored to be outgoing in their back four, though. I could see Eric Bailey going because he seems to be um, candidate number one for abuse at the moment. And if I'm him, I leave because he still has time to resuscitate his career because he still is young and talented. Yeah, I have to agree. I think he's prime scapegoat number one purely because of, you know, as, as you said, with Pogba suffering from the Mourinho uh, story spinning and you know narrative spinning Bailly seems to be the scapegoat of all every time people see him on the pitch he's a reminder that they never got Maguire and I don't see how that benefits him at any point in time next season yeah so brings us to the next player do you buy Harry Maguire for 80 million pounds if you're gonna play if you're gonna play a high line stay far away from him they're far better center backs that you can get for a lot cheaper as well um, once again, it's a stylistical thing. What are we trying to do next season? Personally, I don't think they should be looking at him. I think it's way too much money. Less, we have to remember Leicester are financially a, quite a stable club, so they're not going to allow players to leave on the cheap. And also remember the expectation you're now, um, that Harry Maguire is now coming in with because he's been seen as the savior of the defense for the last two or three years. He's not Virgil van Dijk, and they're gonna—they're getting into that territory of trying to make him into a savior, like he—they're linking him as though, as though he's their Virgil van Dijk, whereas it's a completely different scenario. And you know how people love to to pair and match people and players, and that could be a concern for them. If I'm in charge, I'm not signing Harry Maguire. Not, nor am I, and it's—I think it's. A lot of the reason that I think that Maguire has been linked so strongly with them, not besides the fact that also United want him, is probably because of the fact that I think uh, at this point pretty much everybody's heard Matthias Matthias the Lick doesn't want to go there, and uh, Kalidou Koulibaly does not want to go there. Right? Those are the two probably best defensemen that you can buy in the market right now. Uh, is you know combination of age and ability, because you know Virgil Van Dyke is not for sale, and if you're another club trying to get get towards him, back off. He's ours. Um, <laughs> But moving on then to the right back position, we've spoken about Aaron Juan Bazaka. Um, at sixty million pounds, would you buy him, uh, or do you think it's a situation where just the price, where good player price tag is just absurd for a player at that position with his skill set? I think at his age and his skill set, and considering, you know, it, I think from my perspective, it seems like they've kind of given up on Delo. Whether or not I think that's the right thing to do, I, you know, that, that's not for debate here, I guess. But what I think is for that price, I would go for him if I'm Man United and sort that position out for the future. The next 10 years, you know, he's our right back. Don't touch that position again. And you have to tell them, you know, you have to have a coach or the coach has to give that nod that this is going to be the club's right back. Or you know, as 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 likely as Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is going to be to to be in charge of Man United within a year's time, I guess we'll see. Maybe this is when a director of football comes into play, where he's going to say, "Aaron Wan-Bissaka, you're going to be our right back for the next ten years." Whichever manager is coming in, you know, when we have those discussions of your plans for the team, one of those plans should involve. Aaron Wan-Bissaka as being our right back and that's how you start building for the future so for me I think we sign him up and then we take it from there from now onwards he's our right back 
See, I'm with you to the point of just I, I hate the price tag for it because of the fact that I think that fullbacks are, while they're important, it's a law of diminishing returns position as you get older and uh, you can't run as much. But Bazaka, well, Bazaka is 21, so that's not something that has to be worried about for quite some time. I just think 60 million pounds for a fullback is absurd. But that's that's just me. Um, and I think, look, and there's a reason that happened. It's because of the amount of money that Pep Guardiola spent on fullbacks. Uh, but moving into the midfield, they've been they've been linked with, um, as mentioned earlier, Sean Logstaff from Newcastle United, who, to be perfectly honest, I know nothing about. Um James Madison from Leicester City, um, a player who will probably cost a ton. And, you know, I think it's I, I don't think it's arguable whether or not that, that he has a high talent level. I think the, the question is, is how high is the talent level? And then um, who else have they been linked with in midfield? I'm trying to I'm drawing a blank. Bruno Fernandez. Oh, as yes. Well. Bruno Fernandez. A player who we know who is one of Europe's hottest commodities at the moment for his goal scoring exploits in Portugal. So, of those three, if you're Manchester United, what do you, what do you do? Because Madison and Fernandez play effectively the same position. Yeah, they do. And I think with regards to Longstaff, I'm wondering if the Longstaff and the Madison links are tied into whether or not Pogba is going to be the next season. Because if I'm not mistaken, Pogba counts as one of their homegrown players, having grown up at at oh, United yeah. until the, the age of 21 or so. So he counts as the homegrown when it comes to you know European competitions. So I have a feeling that's where Madison and Longstaff maybe become a factor if Paul Pogba is leaving. Whether or not they're the caliber of United players, I think maybe not. Uh, Longstaff needs a coach. You can't expect him to come into Man United and rely on natural talent. He needs to be groomed and grown as a player. If I'm a United, I would rather go for a Lewis Cook than a Longstaff, personally. But um, and I think you could probably, you know, get them at similar prices. Maybe um, Bournemouth seem to be quite a friendly club when it comes to transfers, or maybe that's just with Liverpool. But um, I think stylistically, uh, Lewis Cook would be much better for them than a long stop. Yeah, and well, then there's a, there's there's one other player I've forgotten though who plays in a, the deeper midfield position, but they've also been linked with Declan Rice, who is going to cost uh, an is going to cost a lot, right? West Ham United will will charge an arm and a leg for him, and rightfully so, I think. Being, it's a very good know, player. He's a very good player, and he's declared for England now, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so once again, that becomes a factor in terms of homegrown players. He's going to cost a pretty penny. That's why I was trying to look for maybe the most undercover English player, it, it, as it seems to be the criteria, but where they're not going to get absolutely rinsed for him. They need someone that can bring him under the radar that seems to be quite comfortable. Maybe even, you know, if you can sneak from, from a, um, if you go to a Wolves, um, um, Morgan Gibbs White from from Wolves. That seems to be a tidy young English player that's good on the board that you could probably sneak in for way more um, for way less than a long staff. Once again, it's about having a plan and being a lot smarter than necessarily just going out and picking the the, the big flashy name name players. Yeah, which basically means that they're going to go out and pick the big flashy name players <laughs> because now we get to the forward positions within which Lukaku is rumored to be off. And I, I think for actually both sides in that particular arrangement, him going is for the best. Um, I think that him going to a league like Italy where he can uh, you know just get a fresh start because he's played his entire career, thus, his entire pretty much career since at this he was what an Anderlecht. He was an Anderlecht youth player when he was sold to when when Chelsea bought him, mm. right? So he's played basically his entire career in the in the Premier League, even down to you know his, his under twenty threes days. I think at this point he probably just is a player who needs um, a change of scenery. But I guess the question here becomes, who can they bring in basically as a forward to replace him? Because assuming maybe that you know Martial maybe is in, maybe he's out. Rashford obviously is going to stay there for quite some time because he is you know, going to be united through and through as a youth product, and he wants to be there, and he's kind of taken on the mantle as the star player. Um, there's not a single team in club football that's dumb enough to take on Alexis Sanchez at this point. 
and uh, to be per- and uh, I guess it it comes down to it of for the past few seasons, United have been linked with um, Antoine Griezmann and Gareth Bale ad nauseum. Griezmann is never going there, right? I think we could probably both agree that. But is this finally the time where Gareth Bale wants out of Real? Uh, Zinedine Zidane wants Gareth Bale out of Real. Gareth Bale wants Gareth Bale out of Real. Is this finally when he ends up at United? Is that their is that their uh, their Bizarro Galactico? I've always thought that he's going to end up at United. He just seems like a United player, um, considering the the profile they've gone for recently. He's not really loved in Madrid. I don't know if he's put in that much effort to be endeared to to the the Madrid fans. Um, you know, the whole thing of not really learning Spanish and stuff like that. It's, if you're playing in the in La Liga, you you got to put in that kind of effort at least. You know, you you can't spend the whole time. It's the same, you know, coming to an English Premier League, being a foreign player. You would expect a player to at least be trying to learn the language, or you know, at least showing improvement in learning the language. So it seems like, um, it seems like considering how much he's earning at Real Madrid, he's happy to stay. And I suppose who could argue with him if if money is your incentive? But in terms of stylistically, from a Galacticos type signing, Gareth Bale is probably the most likely player United could get for that high profile of player. Whether or not it's a, a move that they should be making, I don't think it should be. Considering his injury record, um, I don't see how he becomes that big an influence for them that he can carry them for a whole season. Um, so yeah, it seems like a move that they would make. It's not necessarily a move that I think they should make. Um, and then also we have to consider how much wages they're going to have to pay him to leave Real Madrid and leave those wages behind at Real Madrid, regardless of whether he's uh, one of the mainstays in the starting lineup at Madrid. So once again, that goes into Man United bringing in a player that's going to affect the wage budget. You can expect if the De Gea's and Paul Pogs are still there, they're going to be, you know, crying foul as to why a Gareth Bale is coming in and earning ridiculous amounts of money. So you've just made every single argument as to why I think Manchester United should should buy Gareth Bale. <laughs> I, I want the I want the I want the wage bill disrupted. I want the dressing room disrupted. I want the fan base to be just self-loathing about about the on-pitch product. But I guess really, kind of where we close this down is. We did say we'd give some names about how you fix this, right? Who Who is up to the task of fixing this? And, you know, I guess it's a concept of who can they get and who can't they get who can do it. Because I think Michael Edwards could fix it, but hands off, he's our laptop geek. But who who do you particularly think, uh, you know, you're Ed Woodward. You finally had your, your uh, you know, your Eureka moment. Who are, who are you going out and, and saying, fix my football club? I think considering Michael Wood, um, it seems like Ed Woodward's criteria is highly influenced by ex-United players. And first and foremost, don't go touching a Rio Ferdinand or a Darren Fletcher or anyone like that. I, as, as much as we love being patriotic in the UK, I really don't think that's the position you want to specifically specifically go patriotic um, considering the issues that they have at the club at the moment I would personally if I'm going to go with an ex-player maybe Van der Sar try and prize him away from Ajax considering what he's done with you know with Ajax not necessarily him being directly involved for the season that they've had but he's been in and around the club system for so long at Ajax now that he he's learned a lot more that he can bring to a situation like United have now, opposed to necessarily a Rio Ferdinand or a Darren Fletcher. You can't bring in people that don't have experience. So, yeah, I think if the criteria is it has to be an ex-United player, he's probably the first person that I'm going to go looking at, uh, Van der Sar. I don't know. How do you feel if it's purely just Man United ex-players? If it's purely just Man United ex-players, I would think that you kind of go double Dutch and Van der Sar and Ruud van Nistelrooy, 
because Vanessa Roy does have experience with with youth sides. And I think for United, a big portion of it is going to have to be doing something similar to what Liverpool have done, where you try to get every single level down the ladder playing the same style of football and you build an ethos as a club, right? That and having ever having a distinct style and a distinct philosophy that makes things work, right? You've seen it at Ajax. You've seen it at Barca. You've seen it at Liverpool. Now you've seen it at, you know, you saw it at United under, under Ferguson at points in time where they had, you know, that, you know, when they were, you know, in the late nineties, you know, much more of an, an all out kind of attacking team. I think you do need that kind of, uh, you know, that kind of personality to your to your game that works. Now, I don't think that the answer is a former United player of any sort. I think the answer is they need to go out and get Diego Simeone because I think that's the player who fix that's the that's the manager who fixes this. You get him, you have him bring in whatever he has in his setup from Atletico, and you're just giving them more money. It's a similar thing to what we've done with Klopp. We've basically said, you've been, you've had these constraints. You're still going to have these constraints where you're going to be chasing teams with more money than you, but you're going to have a lot more than you did at Dortmund. Now, with Simeone, him going to United, yeah, there's a club that has more money than them in City, but United can basically play whatever they want for people because of just how long and how good they've been successful off the pitch. But if you know United ever gets Simeone, then I get afraid. Um if it's if it's someone like Vandersar or you know if, you know going double dutch like I I have or like you know or just going with Vandersar like you have I'm still not that afraid. Yeah, I, I think that would probably be the best shot, and then possibly try and kill off um, another rival in hoping that Atletico then go and appoint like a Pochettino. From, from Spurs to fill that Simeone role who stylistically could probably be the perfect player, be the perfect manager to fill that Simeone role. So it could end up being a double blow. Yeah. Um, and they, and they could have done, and by the way, they probably could have done that this year if they had just waited to give Ole that contract, right? That's just another thing that people, that, that we haven't touched upon yet, which was just how foolish it was to bring in a manager like Solskjaer and giving him, you know, four years based on ten based on ten very weak games with really, really statistical, you know, underlying evidence that shows that they weren't particularly much better, just much luckier. Yeah, and also the fixtures. They brought him in at a really good time when you look at fixtures. Um, I think the problem for them is appointing Solskjaer at the time they did was a, there was no win win situation in in my eyes. You know, I don't know what they were expecting that to to do in terms of maybe I don't know if if they thought it was going to give clarity or anything. But as a club that is so reliant on you know making, and I don't mean it as you know as degrading and saying making top four, but they're getting to that stage where making top four isn't a thing for them anymore. So that needs to be a target. You can't then appoint a manager who hasn't accomplished that yet. That should have been the standard, not necessarily how well he's doing in Europe or how you know how good a stint he's having in in a short period of time. It should have been make top four and then we'll have this conversation later. And you can see how this has affected them now. Looking at you know, for example, an Allegri who's become available, um, it just it just backfired on them so badly. Yeah. No. And. If you look at what's available there, Allegri is another guy like Simeone who I think would have stabilized the situation, and he'll probably find another job that he's gonna want that'll preclude him from taking over as United's manager when they invariably fire Solskjaer in March. I think I think the clever thing Allegri is doing, if I'm not mistaken, and this is what I've heard going around, is he's wanting to take like a year sabbatical which is probably the smartest thing to do considering, yeah, as you said, it's likely that Solskjaer is going to be out of a job by March or in and around that time. So I think him taking a year could probably help with the manager merry-go-round and Allegri could have his pick of any club. For example, if a, let's say a Frank Lampard going to Chelsea doesn't work out, all of a sudden that job becomes available as well. So as it stands, I think he's he's taking a year sabbatical, and that might 
play into their hands or actually save a Man United or a Chelsea in the future. But are you are you of the opinion that it either has to be a really strong director of football or a really strong manager? Um, whereas at the moment, it seems like they don't have either. I think they need one of the two, although I think with United and the way that that kind of club is structured at the moment, the only real wiggle room they have is with a really strong manager. But it also needs to be a really strong manager who loves his job because I think one of the things you can kind of say about Mourinho in previous years is, as like I have, I, I respect Mourinho to a point. Um, as a football manager, I respect him immensely because he's won a ton of stuff. But I think he just fell out of love with the game, and I think it showed, right? Because if you look at how cynical he got towards it, where his just teams just started playing anti-football, uh, I think he just fell out of love with it, and I think that they need to find a manager who's passionate about it and actually returns energy and enthusiasm. Simeone's properly out of his mind, so I think he's that kind of guy. I think Allegri might be too laid back to do that. Yeah, it might end up becoming like an Emery situation at Arsenal, maybe. Yeah, it's, like it's, in terms of style, laid back style of the manager. I mean, it, 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 it's apropos of nothing to this conversation, but I think uh, Allegri is the next long term manager at PSG. He's he's the next one they pass on that attempt to try to win the Champions League too, because it's been the thing that's eluded both of them. Yeah, but I think also you know if just to maybe give people options of a director of football as well, maybe like a Lewis Campos, who was at Monaco and and you know, built that dream team Monaco side. He seems to be someone that's really keen to try and continue to do that type of thing where it's a rebuilding project. Um, perhaps he could be an option for them. I, I, I don't know how you think of him or if you, if you have any much opinion on him. I don't have much opinion on them. I did find those Monaco teams fun to watch though, but I, I mean, I could see, I could see him. I could also see something like, uh, you know, Who's the uh, the guy who's built up Leicester? Uh, who, who just Walsh? Oh yeah, yeah. We got to get back to him, Walsh. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. We 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 were supposed to talk about him. I could see him coming in. I don't see him necessarily being good at it because he did ruin. Because you know his experience at Everton was terrible, and it seems to just be part of Fergie's good old boy network. But I could see it potentially working out for the reason that he actually does have a process as a director of football. Now, I think where it fails is if they actually use him as head of recruitment and they make him get into some weird structure with him, Ed, Wood, Ed Woodward still having final say, Darren Fletcher, and a fourth guy whose name I can't remember, right? It, 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 I have no problem with committee think. I just have a problem with committee think where three, you know, where two of at least two parts of the committee are completely defective. Yeah, that's true. And considering how tightly. Ed Woodward is willing to hold the reins. It seems like it might end up being some kind of committee where he has the final say, maybe, opposed to a manager. So, yeah, that could become conflicted. I think the problem also for Steve Walsh is he came into a situation which would be similar to what he's coming into at United, where he had certain aspirations and visions of what he wanted and the style and profile of players that he wanted to bring into the club. And the owners had a completely different perspective of who they wanted to bring in and the owners tying that in with the type of managers the owners were pushing at him to bring in, you know, the, a Marcus Silva and a Steve Walsh. They had very different ideas of the type of profile of players they wanted to bring in. And you can see where that type of clash ends up affecting on the pitch as well when there's random signings and there's no chemistry. That could become a problem for United as well, where an Ed Woodward and a Walsh have completely different ideas of the type of players they want to bring in. And once again, it doesn't necessarily solve the issue at hand. Yeah. So I guess a, a last place to leave this is um, which player this summer in all of Europe would you want to see sign, for, sign with United just for the laughs? Gareth Bale. Gareth Bale. Yeah. I think it's he basically. He seems my a, most realistic one, I suppose. No, I mean, it, it seems fair because he is the type of signing that United have made recently. Huge name, probably past the part of his career where he's, where what he's functional at doing, he can really do that well anymore because he's definitely lost some pace and he has no right foot. Right? Yeah. yeah. And, and, and oh, it will just cause so much problems, it just seems. 
And the beauty of it is it would be such a heralded signing. The fact that he's, you know, he's coming back to the Premier League. Everyone's going to remember him United as the player. You know what I mean? The player that left Spurs, not necessarily the player that's... Uh, he's done well at Real Madrid numbers-wise, but in terms of contribution on the pitch, as we mentioned with like a Lukaku-type player, where United need a lot more from their players than necessarily just end product. You can't just be an end product player. You can't be a Paul Pogba getting double digits and goals and not necessarily contributing elsewhere on the pitch. And that is a problem for United that they haven't quite been able to solve. Well, the real joy of this particular podcast as we close it is the fact that we can talk about Gareth Bale and not get angry about what happened in Kiev because six times. (laughs) It's a good thing to be able to talk about that all summer. The transfer window is jaded by six times. Um, but I think that uh, I shouldn't say jaded. It's it's uh, it's the opposite of jaded. It's it's glorious from that. But I guess we're um, we're we're at, we're at the end of our uh, of our uh, show today. Um, thank you guys for listening. We'll be back at you soon with a non one club specific podcast. But I just really wanted to talk about United and Tadiwa was 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 grateful enough to oblige. So um, we'll we'll be back at you guys next week. Thanks everyone. Podcast Network.